Maybe we could be each other's soulmates. Are you a Carrie, Samantha, Charlotte, or Miranda? For years, Sex and the City viewers have used this question as a kind of sorting hat or personality quiz. Each woman feels so real, distinct, and clearly defined, so we can easily see ourselves in them, whether we're a neurotic creative type like Carrie, a hopeless romantic like Charlotte, a confident trisexual like Samantha, or an ambitious cynic like Miranda, or perhaps a mix of multiple characters. I'm definitely a Carrie at heart, but like sometimes Sometimes Samantha kind of comes out. So which one are you? And what can we learn from each of the ladies? Here's our take. If you're new here, be sure to subscribe and click the bell to be notified about all of our new videos. Sex in the City introduced us to one of the most iconic TV protagonists of all time. Carrie Bradshaw. Her character lived the fantasy of being a successful writer who could afford a Manhattan apartment and a closet full of expensive shoes. I like my money right where I can see it, hanging in my closet. As she put her experiences into her own words, she embodied the idea of being the writer of your own story, going your own way. Carrie Bradshaw is the individual. She's the person who's following her own path. Sex and the City framed Carrie as attractively flawed. Her shortcomings didn't make her damaged, they gave her complexity. And this characterization made it seem more appealing to be oneself, with all of your flaws, than to be perfectly put together. I will never be the woman with the perfect hair who can wear white and not spill on it, and chair committees, and write thank you notes and I can't feel bad about that. The show often reminds us of Carrie's imperfections through scenes where she looks stylish, then falls, or gets clumsy. Of course, the pretty clumsy woman is a common comedy trope, but Carrie's falls are a statement that she messes up. The takeaway is that she's more interesting and charming because of her ability to fail, get back up, and walk it off. There's something incredibly positive about seeing a female protagonist as the lover, the one desiring the guys, rather than being the beloved or the object of desire. Carrie says, I am someone who is looking for love, real love. And her defining romantic trait seems to be that she needs conflict in her relationships in order to feel satisfied. I'm used to the, uh, you know, the hunt, and this is effortless. It's just, it's freaking me out. Her need for struggle explains why for the entire series, Carrie is completely fixated on the elusive man we know as Mr. Big. Honey, you're obsessed with talking about Big and frankly, we can't take it anymore. It's out of our league. What is this, an intervention? Yes, stop her before she obsesses again. With her love interest, Mr. Big, she believed they belonged together. And in a very good romantic comedy that works out, and in life sometimes that's a pathology. The show juxtaposes attractively flawed Carrie with Big's younger, more refined wife, Natasha. You know, she's shiny hair, style section, Vera Wang, and I'm, you know, the sex column they run next to ads for penile implants. 
Carrie envies Natasha's poise and sophistication, but the show implies that Natasha's flawlessness makes her boring, and that Carrie is inherently a more fascinating person because she's not so impeccable. In the popular game of deciding which Sex in the City character you'd be, many viewers at the time would have said Carrie. That's because the other three were all clear, rigid types. It's easy to point to others in your life as Mirandas, Samanthas, and Charlottes, but Carrie was more multidimensional, and most of us perceive ourselves to be likewise complex. Like its heroine, Sex and the City contains some interesting contradictions. The women spend most of their time talking and thinking about men, but their female friends are the ones they share and analyze these sexual adventures with. So while they do spend an extended period fixated on romance, along the way, these women prove themselves to be very independent, career-focused, friend-first people. The most exciting, challenging, and significant relationship of all is the one you have with yourself. All of these contradictions of the show are embodied in Carrie, and that's what makes her so maddening, inspiring, and fascinating. And so it's only fitting that we should raise a cosmo to this trailblazing TV anti-hero who opened up a whole new world of possibilities. I wanted to let you know that I'm getting married to myself. Oh, and I'm registered at Manolo Blahnik. Though Carrie was the show's protagonist, it was through Samantha that the show actually pushed the boundaries of how female sexuality is portrayed on screen. This erotically adventurous woman in her 40s embodied the revolutionary sexual freedom and independence that Sex and the City stood for when it premiered. According to Saros's Sex and the City by the Numbers article, Samantha uttered 210 profanities over the show's six-season run and was featured in 40 of the series' 96 total sex scenes. Samantha represents an authentic version of the bachelorette trope that's remarkably rare on screen. A Manhattan legend, straight, steadfastly single, and sexually very active. In short, the male Samantha. Carrie, Charlotte, and Miranda are also single at numerous points in the series, but it's only Samantha who is committed to being a bachelorette and staying that way. I don't want to get married. Ever? It's also significant that Samantha is the oldest woman of all the Sex and the City ladies, spending most of the series in her 40s and turning 50 in the first movie. While the show appeared to challenge the idea that women had to settle down through following four single women over 30, notably, Carrie, Charlotte, and Miranda do still end up in happy, settled relationships by around the time they hit that next milestone, their 40th birthdays. So their single status at most helped elongate the phase in which our culture deemed it acceptable for women to remain single. Samantha, on the other hand, completely rejects the foundational idea that a single woman is only acceptable up to a certain age at all. You gotta grab 35 by the balls and say, hey world, I'm 35. Okay, calm down, Annie Mae. So if Sex in the City revolutionized TV, it was Samantha Jones who revolutionized Sex in the City. If you're a successful saleswoman in this city, you have two choices. You can bang your head against the wall and try and find a relationship, or you can say, screw it, and just go out and have sex like a man. When a 2017 BuzzFeed quiz asked readers which of the four Sex in the City leading ladies was their favorite, 
Samantha won with 35% of the vote. However, when a different 2018 BuzzFeed quiz asked which Sex in the City lady readers saw themselves as, Samantha came in fifth out of six places with just 8% of the vote. I'm a lovely person. At least get to know me, then hate me. Even if many viewers don't want to be the Samantha of their friend group, there actually is a lot worth emulating in her character. Don't you want to judge me just a little bit? Not my style. She spends the entire franchise overcoming her emotional intimacy issues you have been more to me than any man I've ever known. while also coming to a secure understanding that her bachelorette lifestyle isn't a crutch or inability to change, but a way of staying true to herself and realizing her full potential. Hello, my name is Fabulous. She sets an example to prioritize our emotional well-being in relationships and reject the assumption that we need to copy others' life choices or conform to what society considers normal behavior. Why does everybody have to get married and have kids? It's so cliche. Because to be a Samantha is not to be sex-crazed, promiscuous, or even necessarily single. It's to be self-assured, emotionally evolving, and true to yourself. I am harsh. I'm also demanding, stubborn, self-sufficient, and always right. In bed, at the office, and everywhere else. Charlotte York is a hopeless, old-fashioned romantic. On a show which initially seems to espouse a cynical view of love, this beacon of optimism acts as an important stand-in for many viewers who can to this day identify with her conventional desire for a perfect-looking, fairy-tale love. Charlotte has to cure herself of her damaging romantic falsehoods. I, I want to believe, but nothing is happening. and. I just don't think it's working. Before she can be ready to find the happiness she longs for. One of the things that holds Charlotte back most is her focus on superficial external qualities in her search for a potential husband. You fantasize a man with a Park Avenue apartment and a nice big stock portfolio. When Charlotte meets Trey, she believes she has finally found the exact man she's been looking for since she was a teenager. Charlotte was spending all of her time with Trey, a doctor from Family Money who had it all. She deems him the one after just a few weeks of dating. He could really be the one. Charlotte, honey, you've only known him for two weeks. You, you can know his email address. You cannot know he's the one. But Charlotte's fixation on her marriage plan backfires on her. She doesn't give herself time to really get to know Trey, so their relationship is founded only on flimsy external things in common. This nitpicking is why the show eventually matches her with Harry, a man who is the exact opposite of everything she thought she wanted. He's so not my type. But perfect for her in every way. Harry's not who I expected to fall in love with, but I did. Her passion for Harry is what finally brings about the undoing of all Charlotte's damaging love myths. She comes to understand how little the superficial elements of a relationship really do matter to her. Harry was bald and he talked with his mouth full. But I loved him anyway. And when Charlotte and Harry do get married, their happy wedding, full of mishaps, is a clear juxtaposition to her perfect on the surface wedding to Trey, which was preceded by her realizing she had no intimate connection to her husband to be. You already had the perfect wedding, and the marriage, not so perfect. You know, I think this is a good sign. I think the worse the wedding, the better the marriage. Near the end of the series, Charlotte's ideology about what it means to be a woman is challenged in an even more painful way through her struggles with infertility. 15% chance, 15% chance of ever having a baby. She has to confront her old fashioned assumptions about what motherhood must look like. And her happy ending in the series finale comes in seeing a picture of the baby girl she's going to adopt. That's her baby.
It's a moment that's emblematic of the joy she experiences when she stops holding herself to a too rigid preconceived plan. Ultimately, Charlotte endures as a relatable character due to what's both her most limiting flaw and her greatest strength, her romantic idealism. I'm afraid that he took away my ability to believe. And I hate him for that because I always believed before. While for a long time it holds her back through a restrictive vision of what her perfect life should look like, her undying belief in love also ensures that she never gives up. So to this day, we can learn from Charlotte's resilient ability to keep hope alive while breaking down the barriers that are holding us back from finding true fulfillment. My good friend Charlotte, the eternal optimist who always believes in love. Once upon a time, it wasn't exactly flattering to be labeled a Miranda. Sexy is the thing I try to get them to see me as after I win them over with my personality. She was the cynical pessimist. Soulmates only exist in the Hallmark aisle in Dwayne Reed Drugs. And the least glamorous of the Sex in the City crew. I'm never gonna be a girly girl. But in today's world, there are many people who would proudly call themselves Mirandas. There's even a We Should All Be Mirandas t-shirt playing on the book title We Should All Be Feminists. Sex in the City is so much about analyzing the ins and outs of dating, there's an implicit assumption that relationships are all important. But Miranda calls the other women out for obsessing over men. Give me a call when you're ready to talk about something besides men for a change. She's the one who most often notices sexist double standards. A 34-year-old guy with no money and no place to live because he's single, he's a catch. But a 34-year-old woman with a job and a great home because she's single is considered tragic. Miranda also refuses to conform to anyone else's expectations of how her life should look or what qualifies as success. My sister and her husband want me to third wheel with them down the aisle. God forbid that I should walk it alone because that would be the real tragedy, right? I drink coffee and have sex and buy pies and enjoy battery-operated devices. And Miranda doesn't just dish it out, she can take it too. When she tells Carrie and Berger about a date she went on and asks Berger for a guy's opinion, he tells her, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it for you. He's just not that into you. For some of us, this blunt message would be demoralizing. But for Miranda, it's freeing, even empowering. I love it. It is the most liberating thing I have ever heard. Think how much time and therapy I could have saved over the last 20 years if I had known this. Because she's all about facing the facts. Miranda stands strong in rebelling against conventions she doesn't believe in, but she also comes to realize that some traditional things do actually make her happy, and allowing those into her life doesn't make her a sellout. When she gets pregnant after sleeping with Steve while they're broken up, she has doubts about motherhood. But after she doesn't put pressure on herself to be a stereotypical mom, she finds herself totally in love with baby Brady. So Miranda's character is revolutionary in how she shows that you don't have to be either the career woman or the happy wife and mom. You can do both in a way that suits you. When Sex in the City was on the air, there was still a stigma around women having the qualities that made Miranda who she was. Abrasiveness, strong opinions. So what, they get a medal for correctly identifying a feeling? We do that all day long. I feel pissed off. And a resistance to going with the flow. I miss ESPN and NPR and Dateline. I am not the honeymoon type. But these days, Miranda's realism and rawness are qualities we try to emulate. And it's just no longer cool to hate on a woman for owning her intelligence and calling it like she sees it. Because Miranda Hobbs had the guts to go against the grain back then, the character has endured as someone we look up to now.
If you look closer, you can read the three secondary protagonists of Sex in the City as representing the three primary facets of a contemporary woman. Miranda is the head. Unbelievable fairy tales concocted by women to make their love lives seem less hopeless. Charlotte is the heart. Well, I think that having it all really means having someone special to share it with. And Samantha is the libido. Me badly once, shame on you. Me badly twice, shame on me. As the protagonist at the center of this friend group, Carrie demonstrates a woman's struggle to reconcile her sharp modern mind, conventional fairy tale loving heart, and unfiltered sex drive. Carrie's character is ultimately an amalgamation of these three personalities, who seem so incompatible yet come together in one psyche. She balances her heart's optimism and belief in love. And then I realized I do have faith. Faith that I would one day meet someone who would be sure that I was the one. With her mind's rationality and progressive values, we're intelligent human beings here. We have to learn to rise above the physical stuff. And adds a dash of Samantha's independent nature and daring confidence. I decided I wasn't going to let a magazine or my friends or the Surgeon General stop me from being who I was. Single and fabulous, exclamation point. Women to this day must accomplish this same balancing act of reconciling the disparate parts of themselves in the pursuit of love, success, and personal fulfillment. The truth is, the Sex and the City ladies all access their own inner Carrie, Samantha, Charlotte, and Miranda at different points. In the episode Frenemies, Charlotte and Samantha clash over their wildly opposing personalities, but then each gains more respect for the other. Samantha discovers she too has boundaries like Charlotte. Samantha learns she had a little Charlotte in her, while Charlotte learns to channel her inner Samantha. Don't you ever just want to be really pounded hard, you know? The episode reinforces that not only do these four very different women complement each other through their differences, but they also need each other to access deeper facets of their own personalities. And we can learn from the four ladies how important it is to discover the unexpected, exciting layers of ourselves. Why is it that we can see our friends perfectly, but when it comes to ourselves, do we ever see ourselves clearly? Thank you for watching The Take. Don't forget to subscribe and let us know what you're watching.